Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. And just like that, we are on the air. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. It's Josh Carey here with another extraordinary guest. Today, I am sitting with the founder of Market Domination, LLC.com. It is none other than Seth Green. What's doing, Seth? Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to share and talk to your audience. I appreciate that. So we were connected via way of our good friends at C-Suite Radio and C-Suite Network, where I know I have the Hidden Entrepreneur uh, hosted. And uh, tell me your affiliation with them. What do you have going on over there? Sure. We host probably 40 to 50 shows on the C-Suite Network. I've, I've gone known Jeff for years. He's had me speak at physical C-Suite events back before covid and then a year or two ago, they came to us and said, hey, you guys have all of these shows. Can we, we would love for you to move them over to C-Suite. A rising tide lifts all boats. All of your downloads, we then get to count. And all your listeners, we get to count. And we worked out a deal that was very advantageous to both sides to help grow together. Don't you just love that when there's a deal that is just everybody smiling at the table? Yes, that is the best kind. <laughs> it's kind of the only one we try for. I know. It's really a win-win. So you have, like you said, you have dozens of shows. So you, uh, peeling that layer back, you create shows for yourself and for clients because why? Because you see what benefit there. Okay. So I host two show, uh, three shows myself. And then the other 47 shows are for our clients who are business owners and entrepreneurs and who want to use our unique, what we call Dream 50 method to use a podcast to dramatically grow their business according to our five principles of magical marketing that make new customers appear like magic. Well, wow, you're really preaching to the choir here. I mean, I've I've credited my show with, you know, bringing me from lost to living and really coming out of that dark spot. And we created PodMax around that whole principle to help others do the same, gain the confidence they need. So I, I get it. I love it. What is your personal take with the podcast medium that you fell in love with, that you saw firsthand worked for you and or your clients? 
So I'll try and do a short version of that story. So I became a podcaster on accident. Oh, I, I had I had interviewed 15 marketers for my third or fourth book called Cutting Edge Marketing Magic. It was my first interview book. And I got the Red Think You Go Rich. Hey, that's an interview book. I could do an interview book. And I said, I want to interview people I could never otherwise get in front of, like CEOs of Madison Avenue ad agencies. They handle the NFL. Like, yeah. I'm never going to cold call that guy. I'm never going to get through. But I did it for an interview. And then I started listening to podcasts right around that time. It was like seven years ago. And I said, hey, wait a second. All these shows I'm listening to, they're all interviews, right? There's one rant show I listen to, which is one guy and he rants for five minutes a day. <laughs> all of the other shows are interviews. I said, I just did all these interviews. I wonder if I throw them up on iTunes as a podcast, if anything would happen. That's great. So huge mistake, by the way. There was no audio production at all. It was an unedited freeconferencecall.com oh, audio. wow. You, you heard the phone ringing. There was no <laughs> Zoom back then. You, Mr. Jones, thanks so much for doing this. What am I doing again? Like you heard all the green in the room. It was awful. I think there's some nostalgia to that. I'd actually love to listen to that, right? They're still there. So it was absolutely 500 episodes ago. So they're absolutely wow. awful. But right. the content was good. And that was all the initial reviews was if you can get past the God awful audio production or lack thereof, this is a good show. And I said, and my phone started ringing and I said, holy cow, this could work. And I said, we better make this like a real thing. So I hired people. We had real production and an intro and music and audio engineers and all that good stuff. So then it started sounding good and we did it on purpose and our business took off. Um, and I said, the way we did it, I didn't just do, I did a strategic podcast. It was specifically designed to generate leads. And a couple of months in, I said, I wonder if this would work for somebody other than me. I wonder if it would work for somebody who's not a marketer. I wonder if it worked for a regular business. So the very first client I said for our, we have another division where that does a whole different thing. And I went to one of those clients and I said, would you be a guinea pig? You're a golf coach in Buffalo, New York, where it snows like half the year. So your golf season is very limited. I said, if we can make this work for you, we can make it work for anybody. I'm like, I won't charge you unless it works. And he said, how could I say no to that? I'm in. Yeah. And I said, how much do you get paid? 75 bucks an hour for a lesson. I said, okay, dream scenario. Who was your ideal client? Magic wand, no, no sky's the limit. Who do you want? And he said, well, the Fortune 500 CEOs who like play in charity golf tournaments and those guys make millions of dollars a year. I said, awesome, let's go get them. He said, you can't do that. So, yes, I can. So we came up with a last golf lesson ever program that was $100,000 a year. And the CEO would fly my client on the private jet to wherever they were in the world four times a year to play with him. He would first class hotel, five-star restaurants, three days, weekend, I'll play with you for three days, fix your golf game, and then I'll, you'll send me videos of you playing, and I'll send you videos back and forth. And that was the program. So we launched the podcast, which was the Outdoor Boardroom, I think this was called, and we got him those CEOs as interview guests because it was a media appearance, so they did it. It wasn't a sales pitch. It was, I want to talk to you about networking and using business on the golf course, which they never get to talk about. So they were all excited. And then we had a very specific, what I call shock and awe box follow-up system to those CEOs after the show was over. And literally the first episode, nine people listened to it. Five of them worked for me and one was his wife. So literally three strangers listened to it. One of them was another CEO who called in, got the package, 
and then said, didn't do the 100K program, but downsold to a $50,000 a year program. And he said, oh my God, I made more off of one client than I make in an entire year. I'm sold. So that's, I said, if this would work for a golf coach in Buffalo, we could make it work for any business anywhere. Fan. Freaking-tastic. Uh, I get it. I, I know that concept. I see it. I love the, the framework, how you gave that specific example. So, so basically, that idea, you proof of concept there. So what you did through your 40, 50 shows to date, do they all follow a similar path? Let's create the podcast intentionally with uh, sort of what's the end game, what's your goal, and then backtrack to get either the guests as your ideal clients and then the shock and awe, which I want to hear more about, or get the listeners to take action. I mean, they're also part of the audience that we're intentionally attracting and marketing to. Yes. Every podcast we do is very intentional. We're kind of like the anti-normal podcast. Because if you look in our industry, in the podcast industry, everybody's focused on the vanity metrics, downloads, subscribers, stuff like that. But I said, my average client's a local entrepreneur, not just in Buffalo. I mean, 80% of our clients around the country, but they're, as the government defines, small business, under $25 million a year, right? So they don't need a million downloads. They're not trying to be the next Gary Vaynerchuk or Tim Ferriss. They, my contrarian viewpoint is you don't need a million downloads you need a hundred or maybe a thousand at the most of the right people to listen to your show to add a million dollars a year plus to your bottom line. How? So if we create a high ticket offer for you, it doesn't have to be a hundred thousand dollars, but Could something be. more than what you're probably charging now significantly. And we get the right either potential clients on that show, like the golfing CEO, or we get the influencers on that show who might have a list of golfing CEOs, and then they promote the show to that list, and then those listeners become prospects. So we work backwards and say, who do we want? Who else can help us get them? Let's have both those categories on the show and use that to get in front of an audience that we otherwise wouldn't have had access to and use the authority credibility that come from the show and our follow-up process to generate a million bucks or more. So this shock and awe process, which is taking, let's say, either, I, I guess it would happen with the um, interviewee, it's a, it's a sales follow-up process pitch after the show? It is, but we do it in a way that is not perceived as salesy at all. Of course. We, we add what we call five value bombs first before we ever ask for anything. And literally the potential client or networking source oftentimes asks before we even ask and say, there hey, what can I do for you? And then we have a specific follow-up process where they get on another call to discuss our client's idea for them. So it's not a sales pitch. Uh, I'm helping you solve a problem I already know you have because you told me. And I'm going to help you out because I got an idea. And nine times out of 10, that prospect says, well, can, how do you help me with that? And mm. it's a layup. So you, you are, you're certainly a, a marketer in every regard. I like the angle of the podcast as the, the vehicle. Were you always in sales and marketing? I started out and still am a college financial aid planner. So that's how I got into marketing was learning how to market that business. And then it spun off 
three other marketing firms because services I came up with to market that business worked so well, other people asked for them. Mm. So we started a couple other companies to do those things. So I am now a serial entrepreneur, but still own the original business because it was and still is part of my original passion is helping families cut the cost of college in half. And that's a whole separate conversation. (laughs) What does it take to, for the entrepreneur listening, what does it really take to be a good marketer, to sell well, to gain revenue? So there's five, I call them, there's five principles of magical marketing that kind of works and makes new customers appear like magic. Don't know if we've got time to do all five, but we can certainly do a couple of them. So the biggest, most important principle that's 50% of the success or failure of your business is who is your target market? Who are you going after? And unless you've already heard this speech, you probably aren't going to, I've never heard anyone define a target market accurately enough unless they've already taken the class from me, most likely. So for example, I'll give you another local example. We had a dentist who came, you know, from my networking group when I was in one. And I said, the first question I ask in any marketing consultation is, okay, doc, okay, Josh, who's your ideal client? Who's your ideal patient? And he said, I'm a dentist. I can help anybody with teeth. And I said, hang on, doc. Let me call everybody in my phone and say, hey, do you still have your teeth? I got a guy for you. And we laugh because it doesn't work like that. So uh, we analyzed his client base and we found out that his ideal client really was a woman 35 to 55 who had gotten divorced in the last six months, who was starting to date again, who was terrified of competing against younger women, who wanted to do something to improve her appearance, but was afraid of plastic surgery. And it was making, had a six figure a year income. Wow. I get it. So when we reinvented his entire practice and uh, to just serve those people, closed for six months, remodeled the practice to look like a spa. Like when you pay your $25,000 in cash for the divorce smile makeover, they pick you up in a Rolls Royce limo, drive you to the place that looks like a spa. You don't sit in a dentist chair, you sit in a massage chair and get a massage while you're getting your dental work, which also has many petty extensions built in. So while you're getting massaged and your teeth done, you're getting a manicure pedicure. Uh, You have to bring a friend with you to keep you company, which is a built-in referral source. Um, There's a whole (laughs) bunch of- (laughs) Yes, indeed. I'm sorry, guys. There's a whole bunch of other things like you get a photo shoot with a professional photographer. You get a shopping spree with a stylist so that your pictures are in your new outfits for the online dating sites. So you get a whole package that every other dentist in town is screaming, hey, I do cosmetic dentistry too. Oh, do you? Right. But none of them do it the way he does it. None of them offer all the bells and whistles and the experience. So he's got a waiting list a mile long, works four days a week instead of six, makes four times as much money. Question about this target market and who you're going after and the specificity needed. Using him as an example, and again, framing it back for the entrepreneur tuning in, can... Can you identify your own target market by who you want it to be? Or does it come from the semblance of who you're already serving? So it depends. So yes, you could take a look at who you're already serving, who refers you the most, who pays the most, who's the happiest, who gives you the, who's the lowest maintenance. You could look at factors like that and we analyze all of that. Or you could do the magic wand exercise and say that if I only had to do one thing for one group of people the rest of my life, and I would love coming to work every day and do it for free because I like it so much, who would that group be? 
So, so you can you do know, it that for, way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For example, we, I started in financial services and that's half our client base and every financial advisor that most 83% of financial advisors who I say, who's your target market? They say, I work with retirees and pre-retirees. Well, it's everybody. I mean, it's not, I mean, my son is a pre-retiree, but not pre retiree <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, that's everybody 50 plus with money, right? Yeah. That's a lousy target market. You don't have Nike's advertising budget. You can't reach them all. But if you said, I help conservative sportsmen protect their nest egg from Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and Joe Biden, that's a whole different conversation. And there might only be 362 conservative registered hunters with a million bucks in your town. Wow. Much easier to dominate that target market in a short period of time than to try and spend the fortune required to reach every baby boomer. And once you identify it, what's the next step? Like in your dentist example is to start drilling into the, the oh, visual. Yeah. The what? I liked your dental pun. You were drilling down. So. Oh, yes. I love the pun. Inadvertent. Inadvertent pun. Okay. So first step is figuring out who your target market for. Next step is where do they hang out? So if I wanted 80-year-old arthritic widows, I'm not getting them on Snapchat. I'm not getting them on Instagram. I'm going to get them with an ad in Quilter Magazine or Arthritis Today. I'm going to get them. I can rent that list and send direct mail, but I better not spend, send small print. Mm. I better not send a glossy brochure that they can't turn the pages because their fingers hurt. You got to think about where do they hang out? Where is the best place to reach them so you can deliver what comes next, which is your unique selling proposition, your why they should do business with you. So who, where, why? Why should they do business with you as opposed to anybody else in your category? Which is what we call a magical marketing proposition. Because if you answer the question right, people will immediately say, how do you do that? So your elevator pitch isn't retirees or pre-retirees. Your, retire your elevator pitch at the hunting club is the I help conservative sportsmen protect their nest egg from Joe Biden. How do you do that? I want that. That's the right response. If you say I'm a financial advisor and everyone knows what a financial advisor uh -huh. is, they say, uh-huh, eyes blaze over, they don't care. You did, that's the wrong answer. Wow, and number four. Now, if I give that example of I help conservative sportsmen, the left-wing liberal who donates to Sierra Club and has a Biden sign on his front lawn is gonna run away from you, which is exactly what you want. You wanna repel the wrong people and magnetically attract the right ones. How important, and then we'll get to four and five, how important is pricing your services? I think it's incredibly important. And if it's up to me, I want you to be the premium priced provider of your product or service. Because for example, I could go to McDonald's and get a hamburger for a dollar. Or in my town in Buffalo, New York, I could go to the Buffalo Chop House, which is the most expensive steakhouse in Western New York. And I could go get a hamburger for like $25. <laughs> there's no dollar menu at the chop house. I would much rather be the chop house. I can provide a better experience. I can make high, have higher margins. I get better customers, lower maintenance. They're, they love coming there. Whereas McDonald's are there for 99 cents. So if I have a say in a client's pricing, the first thing we'll do is raise their prices and try and get them to be the most expensive provider of what they do in their area because you'll get better clients and you can spend more to market to them and you get higher margins, and it's a much better business model than trying to be Walmart. I'd rather be Nordstrom's. I know you, you probably get the friction of the fear of, yes. but then I'm not going to attract 
anybody. And my competitor is going to get all my business. How do you begin, if you do, to deal with them? Is, is it a mindset thing? What is it? You're absolutely right. Your competitor is going to get some of that business. And that's a good thing because you don't really want those clients anyway. Your competitor won't have the chutzpah or the guts or whatever other word you want to use to do what you're about to do. No other dentist thought of that. No other dentist did it. And then as soon as he did it and they saw how well it worked, they all started, oh my God, I could have a makeover. Um, but no one had the guts to close their practice for six months, remodel the whole thing and offer this experience. They were mm -hmm. focused on the smile, not the overall experience. So absolutely, we turn away half the clients who come to us because they're not right for us or we already have someone in their industry and their market and we don't want to overlap or they're not willing to take the emotional leap to come out of being hidden, come out of the shadows, become the brand, become famous to their target market, which is all you need to be famous to, and own that space. It takes a certain level of guts and arrogance to say, yeah, I'm going to plant my flag and do this. But once you do, your life transforms. And again, you can work a lot less and make a lot more and help more of the right people. There's a phrase you just said that I uh, extracted here. You said, because they were looking to focus on the smile, not the experience. That theory can be and should be applied to everybody running a business, right? That concept. Absolutely, because technically we're all commodities. I mean, if you really, even if you're not selling promotional pens with your logo on, <laughs> technically we're all commodities. You could hire another financial planner. You could go to a different dentist and get the same smile. You, would have, you could get the same exact smile for a lot less, but you wouldn't get the experience. So it's not really about the product or service you deliver, even though we want it to be. It's really about the experience and the emotion they associate to the delivery of that product or service. So I've seen, we buy our promotional products from someone who decommoditized themselves. In that industry, we know we're paying a lot more than we should, but we're buying for the experience of what we're doing with the products that we're buying. So even though we understand the model and teach it, we still love it, succumb to it, whatever you buy because of it every single day. You could buy a car that goes faster than a Tesla, but Tesla was the one that came up with the rocket launch in the tech, like 80 something percent of people to buy on the spot. No one else ever thought to do that. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. What level of doing this, and we still have only gotten to one, two, and three, the who, the where, and the why, would you say that whether working 
alone by yourself or with an internal team or with someone like you, it seems like that a level of creativity and thinking outside of the box and being innovative is absolutely mandatory. I would agree 100%. And again, I learned all of this by myself from, I invested six figures in my marketing education um, from a number of different mentors and coaches. And I still pay for coaching every single month to take me to the next level. Mm. And there's always another level. So yes, you can do it by yourself. You can do it with an in-house team. If you have a marketing team, yeah, of course I'm biased. Of course you can hire us to have us do it for you, but you could certainly start on your own, make some strides forward, start seeing the benefits. And then of course, reinvest that money back with us. So a level of creativity, figuring out what allows you to stand out, what allows you to serve appropriately in a creative and authentic way is... Ab absolutely. Yeah. And you have to get out of your own box, as you mentioned, because in an industry, we all, yeah, it's marketing incest. Everybody copies everybody else. You know, as a financial advisor, we would say, oh, we're supposed to sell via dinner seminars. We buy a bunch of baby boomers money and we hope we get some, and we present and we hope we get some business. Well, if you take stuff from other industries that no one in financial services has tried before, all of a sudden I have high school guidance counselors all over the country sending us their students, sending us their families, wow. which the financial services industry says you can't do but I stole it from another industry and it worked. So in the marketing industry, we take stuff from other industries and then apply it to us and our clients. And it's just a lot of getting outside of the norms of your own industry so you can break those rules. Because if you do what everyone else does, you'll get the same results they get. And we're all about exponential growth and totally turning whatever business model you've got upside down. And in order to do that, connect an, another industry's way of doing things that you may have not have thought of or seen and figuring out how it can apply to you, your business and your industry, you, you have to have your, your, your hand on the pulse of things in your industry and outside of the industry. And today of all days, how easy is it, right? You, you do a Google search, you sign up for a, a daily or weekly newsletter and you just skim the headlines. You just see what the players are doing, right? Absolutely. There is more information available now in an easier way than ever before. So your five principles, we have the who, who's the target market, who are you going after, the where, where do they hang out, and the why, what's your USP, why do they buy with you? What's number four? Number four is what. What are you going to do that's perceived as being different? You don't physically have to sell something different, but they have to perceive it as different because... I'll keep using the financial services example. You could buy the same investment portfolio from me that you can get from John, that you can get from Bobby, get anywhere, right? Nobody's got a mysterious black box that <laughs> generates the best returns. That's Bernie Madoff. Everybody else has the same exact thing. You can sure. buy the same mutual funds anywhere. There's no secret technology, even though we love to say there is. Mm. So the financial advisor isn't going to differentiate based on investment choices. He's got to differentiate based on what he's doing that's different. So perhaps that's how he markets his investment process. Perhaps that's how he delivers, how about it's our, our, our conservative sportsman example. He, instead of doing traditional dinner seminars, he took people hunting. So he had like 50 acres and he would say, once a week, I'm gonna take two of my clients and two of their hunting buddies hunting. 
and we're getting up at four in the morning, you know, and we're going to hang out in the blind and drink whiskey and shoot things all day. And by the end of that day, those two new guys are going to become clients because they're like, this is the greatest thing ever. And they didn't talk about money at all. They just said, I like this guy. I want to keep hunting and hanging out with this guy. This is the kind of relationship I want. I don't even get a birthday card from my advisor. So I'm switching. So he didn't do it. He didn't send them any different investment products. He differentiated based on his client acquisition process, which was I'm not putting 50 strangers in a room, feeding them rubber chicken and telling them why they should invest with me. I'm taking two guys, four guys hunting all day. Mm. Wow. And what's number five? Number five is how. How are you going to communicate why you're different, what you're different about to your target market where they hang out? So how is, how do you put it all together into a system that generates you new prospects on autopilot so you don't have to do it? So, yeah, I was, I was wondering, I, I was, if five wasn't that, I was going to ask. So, so after we do one, two, three, and four, the how is the getting, system. right, getting the message out. Great. Now that you have the clarity on all of this, now we have to attract and market. Yes, to I've got to take the message of why, I, why you should hire us. I've got to take what we do that's different. I've got to deliver it where you hang out to the right who target market in a way that gets them to raise their hands and say, yeah, I want that. Sign me up. It, it almost seems simplistic, Seth. It is simple. It is not easy. That's right. Right. Like every great thing in life. Uh, going back to number four, I love that you said, what are you doing that is perceived as different? If we unravel what marketing is, can it be argued that, 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 that that's all that marketing is? It's a perception? Absolutely. Talk to me about yeah. that. Okay. Uh, so perception is reality. So I can get the same smile on the other place, but I'm going to pay a lot more for the experience. I could get the same, I could get a burger. It might not be quite as good quality meat at McDonald's, but is there $24 of difference in the Chop House burger versus the McDonald's burger? No, absolutely not. I could go buy a ribeye steak at the grocery store for 15 bucks. At the Chop House, I pay 60 to 70. And I told my wife, she's like, we should get you, it's your favorite place. We should get it. We should go pick some up for you. And I said, no, I'm turning, I would, I'll grill the steak myself. And she said, at Wegmans for 15 bucks. And she said, why don't you, Chop House is your favorite ribeye. They, you've had ribeyes in every major steakhouse all over the country. That's your favorite one. Why don't you want it? And I said, because I'm not going to pay the 60 bucks for just the steak. Because if I get pickup, it's in an aluminum foil container. It's literally just the steak. The steak isn't four times taste is better. Half of what I pay for at least is the experience of going there. There's a really nice high-end ambiance. It's romantic. It's a date with you and me. The kids aren't mm. with us. And we have a relaxing evening and we drink wine and dessert and everything. And then by the time you come home, you're all feeling loving towards me and I'll pay the extra for all of that. I'm not paying it just for the meat by itself. So it's perception of what else I get that makes it worth it to me to pay four times more for the steak than it would be to just get the meat at the grocery store. We've mentioned the word experience a handful of times. Yes. Yeah. Is that at the end of the day, all it comes down to? Is that what we should really focus on? What is the experience I'm delivering while staying true to these five points? I think it's one of the most important factors. If you think about, I got a postcard in the mail yesterday that says there's a Lego store opening at our local shopping mall. And I don't get why they're, because in the age of COVID, why would you open a retail store right now? 
And maybe the rent is dirt cheap because all the other tenants are leaving. But my thought was the only reason for a Lego physical store to exist, because I could buy them on Amazon. The only reason for a store to exist is for me to go play with the product. Maybe they have a Lego building contest. Maybe they have Lego nights. Maybe there's some activity that happens, which is an experience. And hey, if they have the Star Wars Death Star out, built for you to check out and want to buy, um, are they letting people touch it? How are they cleaning that thing right now? How are they sanitizing that thing every five minutes? Yeah. But if the only reason for the store to exist in person is to deliver an experience that I can't get online, right? Otherwise, I could go buy it on Amazon. For any restaurant to exist right now, the experience, a lot of which has been taken away because of COVID, I could just do DoorDash. Why do I need to go? The only reason in my mind that I need to go to a restaurant that isn't super high-end ambiance, the only reason I need to go is to have a date with my wife and get away from the kids. Mm. So to uh, me, the experience is going to be probably one of the only things that you can use to differentiate yourself. Because again, if it's a physical product, you're going to get Amazon. I could buy it on Amazon. The thing I can't buy, Amazon won't let me play with the Legos before they send them. How much of what you do in your own world and with clients revolves around mindset? I would say we, we do the mindset first. The marketing is the sizzle, right? It's what they want. The flood of new prospects, new sales. The mindset is the stake. It's what they, not what they want, but it's what they need to make the marketing work. We've literally had clients that we refuse to accept because they were negative in the beginning mm. before they hired us. So I don't think this is going to work, but maybe I'll give it a shot. And they said, then I don't want your money. <laughs> oh, I, I, I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on marketing before and I got this beautiful website and nothing to show for it, and I didn't make any money. And, and, but I've been burned before. You got to give me a discount to make up for the other guy. You got to do this. And I said, no, I really don't. And that experience has nothing to do with us. But if that's what you're going to focus on, how it's not going to work or how you're scared, I can, we could do the greatest marketing campaign in the world and you'll sabotage it. You'll screw it up. You won't send it out. So you'll say the wrong thing when you answer the phone. So like we had an orthodontist and we were generating leads every single day online. And they came to me after months and we got to cancel. Why? We got you 32 leads, a lead every day. Didn't work. What do you mean it didn't work? Nobody came in and scheduled their appointment that they registered for. Like, okay, hey, Bertha, you're the one answering the phones at the front desk, right? Yeah. Are you using the script that we wrote for you for these particular phone calls? No, I don't like scripts. Okay. If these, do you answer the phone on the first ring like every time? No. Sometimes they leave messages. Do you call them back? When I get a minute. Do you get a minute in the first hour? No, sometimes I just batch all my return calls and I call them on Fridays. Like, so someone could have called them, didn't use the script when you called them back, right? Yeah, I guess so. Gee, is it any wonder why it's not working? So Bertha has to get trained that you have to answer the phone right away, call people back right away and follow the script to the letter because lo and behold, when the clients, when I pointed this out to the client, he would say, well, Bertha's not going to change. Mm. And I said, watch me. And I picked up the phone and I started calling the leads that said no. And in the first three phone calls, I had someone say, oh yeah, I wonder what happened to that. Yes, I'd like to book an appointment. Yes, I've got my calendar in front of me. Let's do it right now. And I said, see what happens if you follow the process that we created for you, it actually works. So if Bertha doesn't like the script, if Bertha doesn't like calling people back, if she's too busy, either hire somebody else just to handle these calls or fire Bertha because she's not going to listen. 
So true. You obviously are somebody uh, well-adjusted, confident, at the top of your game, knowledgeable, resourceful. You know what you're doing. Was it always this way for Seth Green? No, of course not. I, um, this is many, 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 13 years of trial and error. So we still don't hit it out of the park every time. Um, we're still not batting a thousand. We still have stuff that doesn't work every once in a while, but I don't know anybody who will work longer or harder to fix it. I mean, we've had clients who are like, how come you stopped charging me? I said, cause it didn't work and I'm not gonna charge you till we fix it and it works. And they're like, oh my God, I can't believe anybody would do that. My last firm didn't do that. I said, well, I care more. Um, so, I would say that, no, I mean, my very first marketing campaign I ever did after I started learning this stuff was a big flop. It didn't work. And Dan Kennedy, my mentor, said, I could give you the answer, but that'd be too easy. Call people who didn't respond and ask them why. Survey the non-responders. Mm. So I physically picked up the phone and called them and said, hey, do you remember getting this? Yeah, I remember getting it. Why didn't you respond? And I got a list of reasons why they didn't respond. And I went back to Dan and I said, this is the list. And he said, right. And he changed two words in my headline and I sent it out again and we had a sold out event. So no, I was not always to this point and I'm still not to this point. We're growing and learning something new every day. Can you share a time with us where you were struck with fear at any point in your life or career? Because that's what the hidden entrepreneur is the founded upon, that premise that I spent a lifetime behind fear, using it as an excuse, allowing it to paralyze me in every sense of the word. And now I take action in spite of any sense of fear. Can you share a story where you were confronted with fear and it worked out for the good? I will give you my biggest mistake I've ever made. Um, and then I know we got to wrap up. So we had done a, I had spoken at a local event and one of the first people who came to that event was the founder of one of the largest regional personal injury law firms in a multi-state area. One of those guys with commercials on TV 24 hours a day and dream client for us. We started the process because he was impressed with my speed, my five steps. And it took nine months of back and forth in proposals and changes before we had a final proposal to, to him. We made the final pitch and he said, and this was a six figure contract with the potential to go to seven figures in performance bonuses. Plus he was building a giant new building and was going to give us free office space. So we were going to move into his building wow. and have a floor in his building. Life-changing event. Um, so he says on Friday, awesome. This is exactly what I want. I'm in get me a contract. I'll get you the check. So I said, fantastic. This is terrific. So I had been in anticipation of this coming in. I had, um, I had been interviewing people to help to hire them to help do all the work. And my wife and I were looking for a new house at this time. So that Monday, the following Monday morning, I sent the contract. I told the prospective employees they were hired and said, come on in, start today. I told my wife the numbers I submitted, this was a long time ago, submitted to the mortgage broker, were based on that contract coming in and paying a, like paying a significant down payment because wow. I had a multi-six-figure check coming. So my wife said, ooh, I can buy a bigger house. And a couple days went by, no check, no contract. And I had people in the office working. And <laughs> I shoot an email. Time goes by, I make a phone call, 
I shoot a text message, a couple of weeks have gone by. I'm starting to get really nervous because I got people working and I got to give them other stuff to do, but I don't have the money to pay them because they were all based on this guy. And my wife wants to find our house and goes, I'm going to put an offer in. <laughs> and she didn't know where the money was cut that I didn't have the money. So finally I got fed up and I took a day, moved all my appointments and went down the street to his office and sat in the lobby and said, I'm here to see Mr. So-and-so. And the receptionist goes, do you have an appointment? I said, no, I don't. But it's been three weeks. I don't have a contract or a check. I moved all my appointments. I brought a book. I'm going to sit here all day until I get five minutes. And she goes off in a huff. Um, and she comes back 10 minutes later and says, he changed his mind. He's not doing it. You know, get out of the office. Go home. So I went in the car. Um, I had the windows rolled up and screamed a heck of a lot of profanity. Mm. Um, I texted my wife and I called and, and I couldn't even talk. I was so upset. I had to tell her why she couldn't buy the house she wanted. And she was not happy, but she was a wonderful wife, took our kids to her parents, went to the liquor store, got me a bottle of Jack and met me at home um, where I drank a lot of it. And then I had to go in the next day, lay off those new employees mm. and go, oh my God, really painful lesson. Don't spend the money either mentally, emotionally, or physically until the check actually not only shows up, but clears your bank account. Cause we've had people whose credit cards bounced, but they don't tell us that's going to happen. So I learned a really painful lesson that day, which is don't hire until you got the money to pay them and don't spend the money until it's actually there. Wow. I, yeah, that's such a great lesson. Thank you for sharing all of that. How, I mean, I feel like we only scratched the surface, which I know we did. Um, like, like you said, before we went on the air, you said we can go for 30 minutes, three days, three weeks, or three months or three years. Certainly. I, I feel that I see it. Thank you for spending this time. How should people follow up with you to keep any conversation going, Seth? Sure. We've got a special offer for your listeners. If they go to marketdominationllc.com, they can watch our awesome sizzle reel. It's like three or four minutes right on the front of the page. And then right next to there, we have put a box where they can say, I'd like to get a critique of my existing marketing, or I'd like to learn how you guys can help me. And if they fill that form out, they will go straight to my personal calendar and they can go grab a 15 minute session with me for free, which we normally charge for. And I guarantee we can solve any marketing challenge they've gotten 15 minutes or less. My goodness. Do it, do it, do it. So cool. Seth Green, so awesome to be connected with you. Uh, I'm sure we'll have uh, many more conversations. Thank you for showing up and opening up like you did. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And I look forward to coming back. I appreciate that. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We're going to have another episode not too far behind. Until we do it again, go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.